0: I started forming support groups around myself. So, you know, I had accountability partners as an actor. There was a program actually started by Jay Perry, who is a very renowned coach in the industry now called the Actors Information Project and i was part of a group where we'd hold each other accountable all right i'm sending out seven resumes this week i'm gonna go all this many casting directors so i didn't try to do anything alone
1: you're listening to the power of two the podcast where we unravel the success stories of entrepreneurs just like you who have transformed their business through the magic of joint venture partnerships. Being an entrepreneur can be a tough and lonely journey, but in the world of collaboration, you're never alone. Whether you're launching a new product, promoting a new offer, or if you're just looking for great ideas, there's always another business owner out there to support you. So join me, Danny Vermant, host and founder of Captain JV, as we dive deep into the journey of business owners who have harnessed incredible potential partnerships, And turn them into a powerful catalyst for growth are you ready to scale your business through jv partnerships this is the power of two podcast i want to welcome our special guest rati gorfine onto the show rati is a coach who works with artists and business professionals who have adhd Following her graduation from NYU's acting programme in 1978, Rorty went on to pursue a career in theatre for 30 years, during which she was a professional stand-up comic, originated many roles off of Broadway, and wrote several plays, one of which was included in Backstage Magazine's listing of the best plays of 2004. Starting in the mid-1990s, Rorty began forming and facilitating peer support groups for her own professional accountability as a theatre artist. These groups were the gateway to her becoming a trained and certified professional coach. She is certified with both the Coach Academy and the International Coach Federation. Since 2003, Rati has been helping scattered and overwhelmed creative professionals follow through and finish things. She helps her clients focus so they can grab the focus of others, get seen, and make money doing what they love. Rati has been recognized three times by expertise.com as one of the 15 best life coaches in New York City. Rotti, it's fantastic to have you on the show. So, I want to start off by asking you um a little bit about where where it all started. Uh did you did you always want to go into theater acting from a young age?
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> I remember the fantasy I had. I think I four years of age on a one of these you know rocking horses uh with springs in uh the back of my father's veterinary clinic we lived in the back and i was just having a fantasy about a lot of people looking at me and applauding and i just remember that fantasy and something in me was like this is what you this is what you're going for it was very weird at four years of age uh it was confirmed for me a few times over the course of my childhood and uh it was just no there was no question in my mind that's what I wanted to do. Yeah
1: And uh how did it manifest itself through your school years? Did you get involved in acting?
0: Oh yeah, I sure did. I got involved in acting and I was a I grew up in New Haven, which made me a towny a uh, uh, Yale Yale University really is uh, what New Haven is known for. And uh, as a townie, uh, the Yale Drama School was uh, really renowned and still is. I would kind of press my face up against the glass of the Yale Dramat and... uh, I, I I was a very nervy little thing. I managed to insinuate myself into actual productions and created a position for myself as the company apprentice for the first season of the Yale Summer Cabaret, which has been going on probably for almost well forty five years or so. Wow. Yeah, so, yeah. And there were, that was a pivotal, that was a seminal moment also, being in that, uh, being that company apprentice, uh, there was a company of eight actors, including mm-hmm. Meryl Streep and Christine Estabrook, and uh, they were not yet famous, they were still in school, but I remember the awe I had of these people. hmm And I remember (laughs) once, it's so funny to remember this story. Uh, Meryl Streep and Marcel Rosenblatt, another wonderful actress, but of course, last name Rosenblatt, also uh, was not a tall blonde goddess, uh, but probably an incredible actress who actually on interviews Meryl refers to as an inspiration. at a break, they all went to Ann Taylor on Chapel Street and they said, oh, come, come. And they were like these little girls shopping and I was with them and I felt terrified that they were treating me like a human being. I was just so, I felt so, so scared and, and like I didn't want to make them, didn't want to say anything wrong. I bought a pair of really ugly, gray, stretchy pants just to feel like part of the gang, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was 16 at that point yeah
1: wow wow so so you graduated from high school and t- so tell us about uh where you went from there uh
0: well i was in a hurry i graduated mm. a year early i got into nyu graduate acting which at that time was a conservatory that accepted undergrads and i got out of there in three years if i it, you know if i was smart i what i would say to my younger self is just stay one more year and get your master's. But I was in a hurry. You know, I could have taught. I could have done all. But I was in a hurry to be shot out of the cannon into the great white way. And uh, that, that was a real humbling experience. They didn't really prepare you for the business. They taught you how to do your craft. But business and whatever you do for a living are two very different things. They are, they are. Yeah.
1: So, uh, how did you navigate all of that?
0: How did I navigate all of that? Well, uh not well. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not have the tools emotionally to mm. navigate any of it, and... Uh, It was the 70s, and I was a libidinous little thing. So I was blown around, you know, between men, and also this was way before me too, and, uh, uh, you know, I got my SAG card under questionable circumstances. I mean, I could have a few heads on posts if I wanted to, but they're old men now, and I see no reason to drag them through social media uh but it was not a fun time i actually ended up in a nunnery i mean i'm jewish so it wasn't a nunnery it was nashram it was you know i ended up moving to uh well a hindu kibbutz is what i like to call it if you will in pennsylvania to get some tools to reparent myself and get some spiritual grounding
1: gosh (laughs) <laughs> Gosh, and, love that. Uh, and, and uh where did you where did, having spent time there what what happened next where, where did you uh where were you when you came out of that program
0: well uh yeah i like to say i'm one of the few people ever to be kicked out of a cult i find that to be a very uh, i on? love that <laughs> distinction yes i was very i was questioning the the word of the guru a little too much and they told me to take a leave of absence for a while so i did and i had learned what i needed to learn there which was that first of all company is stronger than will Mm -hmm. that you don't do anything alone
1: yeah
0: also that i am not what i do i was so over identified with being an actress well, Mm -hmm. actor is what we say now. Uh, I was so over-identified with being an actor, I didn't know who I was. And they didn't care that I Mm -hmm. was an actor. It was really a process of reparenting, of experiencing unconditional love and learning some actual trades. Mm -hmm. When I came out, I became a private cook. I was uh, trained in macrobiotic cooking and some nutrition. And I ended up, getting a lot of gigs cooking for jazz musicians. And without realizing it, that was my first business. I had a nice dossier of clients and uh, renowned, you know, jazz people who kind of recommended me to each other. And I've got fun name-dropping stories to tell about that, but I'll (laughs) leave that for another time.
1: Wow. So what's interesting is I I see that – the fact that you you say you got kicked out of a cult, you're clearly a very very free spirit. So the entrepreneurial streak was there really all the way through. I, oh I yeah, see.
0: I have no business working for someone else. It's not good for anybody. I've tried. Mm. I mean, even mm. and and even as a cook, I wasn't working for someone else. I had clients. I yeah. had my own business. Yeah, yeah.
1: So so how long did you what, you know you, you eventually? Uh, Left that business, but what? What? How did it, How did it evolve? What happened?
0: Well, I continued to be a cook for about seven years, and in that time, I also uh, started to hone my chops as a stand-up comic. I was admitted to a program called the uh, Pun the Manhattan Punchline Comedy Corps. Manhattan Punchline uh, was a very a uh, well-known off-Broadway theater at the time. And uh, so I began doing stand-up because while I am an actress who sings, I'm not a singer who acts. And the paths that seemed viable back then in the 80s were you could either be Barbara Streisand, go on Broadway, or you could be Jerry Seinfeld, you know, uh, and uh, get a sitcom. So I I went the comedy route and I got so far as to actually book gigs around uh, the East Coast, uh, which is, ha- I, mean, I met my husband through comedy, actually. He'd been doing it longer and we were like the king and queen of Pennsylvania. He, you know, I would open and he would headline or I would middle and he would, he'd been doing it twice as long as me. Uh, and it was a rough go because when he had a good set, and I didn't. That was hard on the relationship. So you met, you, him, met so. through
1: stand- the, you met through the whole stand-up show? Yeah.
0: He was a regular at the uh, the at the improv, uh, oh. the original improv in New York City. And uh, he was hanging out at the bar, and I kind of sidled up, you know. And I was like, good set, you know. And I talked about how I'm a macrobiotic cook. And you tell a man you're a cook, that's your hook, if you're a heterosexual woman, you know. Talked about how well I, you know, talked about how I was earning – a living at the time, so I would say as a stand-up, I, I got to a point where I was doing, you know, pretty much half my income was through comedy. Yeah.
1: Wow. Wow. So uh, where where did that go? And uh, you know, uh, is there's, there's there's a couple of interesting things there that uh, working together that you, you you quite a few people I interview uh, are part of a couple who work together. Yeah. And uh, you experienced that. So, oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah, and we also, uh, you know, in our attempt to become the next Stiller and Mira, we we actually did a show together. We created, we wrote and developed a show together called "Oh Grow Up," uh, and which we did sketches and we also did shtick or comedy, stand up monologue, uh, and that was an interesting time. <laughs> and yeah.
1: So, working with your husband, that was your first experience of a
0: partnership? Yeah, that, that, I guess you're right. That was my first, well, no, I'd had other partnerships. I, you know, it, it, I was part of a little in, improv troupe for a while. Mm. And like I said, I had learned from the ashram, you don't do anything alone. I started forming support groups around myself. Uh, so, you know, I had accountability partners as an actor there was a program actually started by Jay Perry who is a very renowned coach in the mm. industry now called the actors information project and uh I was part of a group where we'd hold each other accountable all right I'm sending out seven resumes this week I'm going to go all this many casting directors so I didn't try to do anything alone after the after the ashram quite frankly
1: I think that uh I think that there's certain careers where you acting in some ways is a little bit more like a little bit like the entrepreneur's journey in that you're on your own a lot of the time and, and you yet need... it's a
0: social art it's a social yeah. art you can't do it alone
1: exactly so you really do need uh you really do need partners to yeah to to, to, to interact with uh, hold you accountable um so so yeah so tell me so tell me other ways that uh so you're 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 partnering with your husband uh and what happened what happened with the stand up
0: with the what the stand up what,
1: what happened with the stand up It faded program? i i right. would say
0: that it started to fade because uh you know uh, comedy central beginning of cable uh it the, the market became saturated uh i would say you know it just was not we were not getting the traction that I think we, we needed to get. And also, I think both of us were too fragile for that industry. Uh, you know, I didn't understand why everybody thought it was so brave at the time I started doing it, you know, just go up and be be yourself. It's easier to, you know, it's easier than creating a character, but uh, actually, no, <laughs> because if there's no fourth wall uh people thought that uh comedy was a was actually more like going to the Coliseum sometimes people in the audience thought it was their job to heckle uh and not let you do your act and for us we neither of us were great at handling that uh and, yeah so and I got and I also started getting sick of having to always go for the laugh mm-hmm. when actually I'm probably a person who comes out of a rather a uh, serious background with a lot of post generational trauma and i actually wrote a, i went i moved away the stand up comedy is a skill that served me as a playwright i started mm-hmm. writing plays i first started solo plays i did a one woman show and eventually started writing plays with other people in them mm-hmm. and found that that collaboration was really rewarding Developing new work with people, whether it was as an actor or a playwright, seeing, uh, you know, co creating a, a world with other people was uh, really fed me. Really, I loved it.
1: Did you come from a, did you come from like a family of, uh, did you come from a creative family?
0: I, I've been told that a, 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 an uncle of mine generations ago was a cantor right in russia <laughs> right right uh but uh not to my knowledge what did your parents do well my father was a veterinarian right uh and my mother um actually was an org- organizational psychologist in france at a time when very few women uh had a career like like that uh and it was the 50s she married my father and you know he, they met on he had an internship with her father. Her father was a veterinarian uh in a little town called uh, I think Arras, du where in France, where they had the equivalent of steeplechase, pain Arras, which uh he treated the racehorses, made him a very important guy, veterinarian-wise. And my father after the war, World War II, interned with him and in France it's uh, I believe it is Mac The 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 daughter follows the mother's religion and the son follows the father's religion. So he was Catholic, which is why she survived World War II. And my father was Jewish and so my grandfather, who really my father's very charming, my grandfather loved him, he introduced him to my mother, said she's Jewish too. You <laughs> <laughs> grew up in France. No, I didn't. I kinda wish I had. Uh, I raising bilingual kids uh I think uh is is doesn't just happen naturally mm-hmm. and my parents, as I said, were both very damaged by the war and uh, did not have the wherewithal to um you know raise us in a way that was where we both where we spoke both languages again th- I think there has to be an agreement where. Uh, one parent only speaks one language, the other parent only speaks the other language, and that's it. Uh, and they would use French to talk behind our backs if they didn't want us to understand something. What a great way for children not to grow up bilingually. Yeah. yeah. You know, interesting.
1: So. Sorry, interesting. mom,
0: dad, I bet you blew that one. <laughs>
1: So I'm really interested to hear about your uh, coaching business and how that came about uh, on the back of acting, on the back of stand-up, on the back of cookery. Uh, yes, cookery.
0: So, how, so <laughs> okay. how did you? Yeah.
1: So how did you pivot into into coaching?
0: As well. I- as I said I learned a lot of tools from the shram from the ashram mm. and started creating these accountability bu- uh, books uh, groups and started voraciously reading self-help books like Julia Cameron's The Artist Way and Barbara Sher's Wishcraft and of course Barbara Sher's All About Success Teams yeah. and I used those tools to facilitate these groups mm. people started getting uh, results I have a friend, uh, One I started with friends as my guinea pigs. And they weren't guinea pigs. I didn't realize I was going to be a professional at the moment. But uh, one friend opened a bookstore. That was a dream of hers on Lexington Avenue, no less. Another uh, moved up to Maine and became a DJ. And by then I was married to my husband Mm -hmm. and struggling with uh, a lot of not just the cooking, I was moving away from that, uh, but I was also doing temp work in, in corporate settings. That was not good. Uh, other, I was teaching yoga. I was doing 50 things, as many actors do, and, you know, plate spinning to survive. And my husband said, you know, you're good at this, whatever facilitating thing, and you could make money at that, I bet. You should do that. And that was, again, the second bell that went off. Uh, my husband knowing me well enough Hmm. and I think that's the thing about partnership too when you develop a trusting one people know you they see your gifts and they can um, amplify them so I thought oh okay I'll put a shingle out and back then you know I don't think you need to be certified to this day as a coach I bet back then it was real nervy but then again I do have some nerve and I started charging money And at a certain point, I realized, you know, I'm referring an awful lot of people to therapy. And I feel it's not always when they necessarily need a therapist. It's just that I have no clue how to get to help them any more than I have. So at that point, I decided I'm getting some training. And that's when I went for certification as a coach. Okay. and then my bit my business blew up through another partnership which was with a business coach
1: all oh, right so she, tell me about that
0: well she took me from uh you know about 19k to 100k it wow. took about i would say it, it took about five years it wasn't you know some a lot of coaches say well i can double your income i can get you to six figures in a year maybe they can i don't know but i know uh working uh with monica Shaw who's the coach of Revenue Breakthrough, who talk about tools. The woman is, uh, uh, you know, they call her the queen of content for a reason. And she gave me structures and she gave me, um, you know, systems uh, Mm -hmm. and ways to work with mindset. And uh, yeah, it just took off. My business really took off at that point so that uh, eventually, you know, I had a full practice. I still have a full practice.
1: And um, your, your practice, just t- just tell us a little bit about what your practice focuses on. What is the kind of problem you f- you focus on fixing?
0: Well, I think you know. At first, you coach who, what you know. So, mm. in o- other words, you kind of coach yourself. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel as though really I, I got to know myself better and better, uh, and my own challenges better and better. I ended uh, at this point my uh niche, if you will, are creative professionals who feel pulled in 50 directions.
1: Like yourself, like your own background.
0: Exactly. And specifically, I got a, a certification as an ADHD coach, which turned out to be really uh, fortuitous. A, a coach of mine recommended that program. Uh, you know, for a time, I didn't think I wanted to coach people with ADD. But then I realized, you know, my it turns out my son has it, my husband has it. And little did I know that my older brother was diagnosed with it. I didn't know that as a kid. Uh, so uh, it was as they say in Yiddish, "beshert," meant to be.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and, and how did uh, how did your client how did your client base grow?
0: Well, I started out uh creating groups first with groups which was a little backwards uh through a wonderful listserv called park slope parents which is pretty well known in the listserv uh world Uh, i i started coaching entrepreneurial moms Uh, so that was another kind of test group uh out of there eventually i had to do practicums to get my certification so I started coaching people that I didn't know at all and uh eventually I I did have a I built a website I had I decided on some rates I think my first at first I was charging like $35 a session or $25 a session and uh I remember the first private session the person didn't show up oh, dear. <laughs> They People didn't show that. up. Yeah. Yes, but it, that was like, oh, my God, this is never going to work. I'm, ki- I'm, I'm fooling myself, but I didn't stop. That's the key. Y- you feel like a fraud and keep going. That's the key. Yeah. I could write another book called You Feel Like a Fraud and Keep Going. And, you know, you just don't quit. And eventually it stuck. People started actually hiring me and showing up.
1: Do you remember the Do you remember the moment that, that the business started to blow up?
0: Actually, yes. My uh, coach Monica at the time is also a healer, and she does. Uh, she uses a modality called Theta Healing, actually. Uh, but she was a psychic from very uh, young age. She had she saw things other people didn't see, uh, and uh, I had a real block against going above three-month commitments, uh, getting people to stay with me for longer than three months. I had a real block against charging more than I was charging, and I was not going to make a living running my business the way I was. And she actually did a past life regression with me and uh, where I pinpointed some issues around shame and visibility, Uh, For good reason, uh, if I'm to believe this past life uh, visualization, I was, you know, uh, I was uh, summarily executed, basically. And um, a week after she did this clearing with me, uh, and she convinced me to ask for a six-month commitment, a week later, I had my first six-month client. And I, uh, I, I had basically upped—not quite doubled my price, but I had risen it. it had gone up significantly. I would say within the course of six weeks, I filled my practice with six-month clients. So the subconscious is a very powerful thing, Uh, you know. That's when it took off.
1: Yeah, and it was having it was having the accountability partner that you yourself had. Create you yourself have created that system with act, actors, and you have that now backing you. And
0: also accountability partner with a coach. Yeah, that's the uh, mother of all accountability partners. You're Correct. paying them a lot of money. You yeah. want uh, to be accountable to them.
1: Yeah. Um. And and as you grew, did you uh, did you have other partnerships that you that you formed?
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um. Uh, I have done events. Uh, I co-created an event with uh, a, a marketing branding expert who is a friend of mine, uh, and uh, a woman who is a uh, it, uh, a um, IP coach. You know, um, you know, it, what is it? IP. Oh, I'm I'm having a brain. Yeah, intellectual thing. property. Yeah, intellectual yeah. property lawyer. So, you know, the three of us created an event together. Uh, where we invited everybody from our lists, and uh, we each presented and had a nice little cocktail spread. That was the first sort of—I mean—a joint venture. A lot of times, is people think of it as being like an online exchange, but this was live. <laughs> that was yeah. The first... Well, it's
1: a bit. Uh, many of us have a short memory, but that's what—that's how joint ventures often look before COVID, and many of us are going back to that now. Actually.
0: yes, I love live events. I do. Uh, and since then, yeah, I've done trades with people. I can't remember specifically, but you know, they've interviewed me, and then I might interview them. Even on social, doing these little things where, where uh, you know, on Facebook, I, I interviewed a friend of mine who's a um, he has a music school, mm-hmm. uh, and um, then he he's been support he's been supportive of me and promoted my stuff so yeah isolation doesn't work you've got to get out there uh and 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 meet people and you just and and it's not direct as monica used to say uh networking karma is indirect it's not quid pro quo i've helped people i've gotten out there and things have come back to me but not from them
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely it's almost like it's like you throw a boomerang in one direction and
0: that's right comes
1: back from another direction
0: that's right yeah yeah and I've actually started a networking group uh modeled on one that I think you know, that we both belong to j jvmM and actually it's I did it because uh, I belong to a lot of networking groups where Uh, the target market is not mine. For instance, Mm -hmm. coaches who coach other coaches, that's not my target market. So I realized, well, if I want to get referral partnerships happening, I've got to start a networking group with uh, people who share my niche. So I started Muse Networking. Mm -hmm. Uh, Muse, you know, Marketing United serves everyone. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it is a, a network for people who serve creatives. So for like an intellectual property lawyer or perhaps, you know, a branding expert or a bookkeeper who works with a lot of entrepreneurs and, and creative types. Uh, so that is slowly building. And I think there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of fun exchange going on there.
1: That's great. I think creatives really do have a need for partnerships. You know, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's, they're, 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 they thrive on, the, on on interaction with others.
0: Absolutely. Yes. uh, Yeah.
1: I agree. I think COVID must've been quite challenging.
0: Actually, that was a boom time for me. Uh, strangely, Mm -hmm. you know, I think because of everyone's eyes, the isolation that was imposed on everyone also, uh, you know, people who were making a living in the arts Mm -hmm. suddenly, I mean, people were very creative using zoom. Uh, uh, however, Uh, You know, for instance, uh, I had an actor who was a Broadway actor hired me. And the playing field was suddenly very level because there was no theater. He was having a hard time uh, really getting a foothold. He'd come, you know, he'd done very pretty well. He'd understudied in, uh, you know, very big shows that are still running and gone on occasionally but he wanted his own lead in a broadway show
1: yeah
0: and and i'll never forget when they came to their first session they had a glass of wine in their hand (laughs) that's how bad it had gotten the poor guy he had let himself get very her suit a lot of fur on his face and a glass of wine (laughs) poor fellow uh so yeah all of a sudden i had a lot of clients the people had to think they were by themselves in their four worlds and they had to reassess what am I doing with my life
1: right Especially uh, in the
0: creative professions I think
1: how f- fascinating and t- tell me all together who are the people tell me about some of the, the sort of sorts of people you're working with at the moment
0: oh goodness there's a wonderful exciting range of people I I have a ball uh, I right. have a Uh, an author who has had some success and now of course she's been uh, paid an advance for uh, the next novel and that can be very daunting for a writer. Uh, So we're working together to get her to crank that thing out. The whole, you know, uh, I think sophomore slump or that feeling of people expect a certain thing from me can be very blocking. So Mm -hmm. I'm also uh, trained as a creativity coach. So a lot of the work has been to get her to let it flow again. Mm -hmm. Uh, She doesn't really have such, she doesn't have a problem with the business so much, but for her, it's about getting it to flow, letting herself make a mess and create the vomit draft, if you will, and uh, let the work on the characters and all. Uh, then I have uh, clients uh, who I have a musician who wants to make a living as a musician mm-hmm. done pretty well for himself as an entrepreneur. And now he wants to actually make, start building income uh, through that. Um, oh, golly. Well, you know, filmmakers, I get a lot of filmmakers, of course, talk about collaborative. Mm-hmm. Um, So, and also I'm starting to get mentees, which is fun. People who are starting their own coaching practice. And uh, I've really enjoyed that. Um, Helping, uh, you know, people at that stage. And I'll talk to anybody for 20 minutes. I I get people calling me out of the blue. People who are going through their training or they just graduated and they want to know how I built my practice. And, I'll give them twenty minutes, and we'll talk. And then I'll say, okay, if you want to have another conversation, you're, you know, we're going to have to come up with an agreement. Uh, you know, I'll be your mentor coach, but not for free. You know, people will shoplift. <laughs> yeah, they,
1: them... they will. They will. <laughs> they will. That's what, I just, that's I what just, picking I just wrote, your brain is. You know, I just wrote a uh, I just wrote an email today about how uh, in my early days of public speaking. Uh, I had this idea that if you give away all your best ideas, people want to work with you. <laughs> of course, what happened is people furiously wrote notes, and then I walked. They walked away and I never heard from them again because uh, they said, yeah. "Great, great, we've had everything we need. Uh, we now, now we, now, and that was it." So yeah, so what I'd like to do is uh, I'd like to just end the show by just asking you, what is your, um, what would be your main takeaway uh, to our audience about, you know, how they might benefit from. Uh, partnerships.
0: From partnerships, yeah. well, first, you have to form them. (laughs) And one way to do it is to get out of the house. Mm. Uh, Go to networking events, live ones, because COVID is over. Get out of the house. Uh, Especially if things aren't going well. That's something Monica said. If all else fails, leave your house. And when you do go to networking events, put the focus on the other guy. As they say in Meisner acting technique, uh, come up with little goals like I'm gonna get at least three business cards, or better yet, I'm going to learn about at least one person's childhood. Things that really or I'm gonna I'm going to give one person a solution to a problem. Come up with fun, fun goals that have nothing to do with you. I mean, the business card one that has to do with you, and it's not a very interesting one. The second two though that's where you might actually start sparking a relationship
1: yeah yeah uh, and, and and that's the thing is that i think when you ask people questions about themselves not just about business yeah uh it, it uh it takes the pressure off uh you actually discover who they are as people which is quite important that's right yeah um, because you need to like somebody in order to work with them
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but uh, it, cre- it creates a much more relaxing environment for you to open up to each other uh, and uh, so, so I want, if our if, uh, if really audience want to find out more about you, um, where, sh- where should they go?
0: Right now, I'm all about the book I just had published. I finally had a book published, which is very exciting. And it's called The Five Emotions That Stop Success. Uh, of course, it's published by Rutledge, which is an academic press, so they have to get every keyword in the title. The full title is The Five Emotions That Stop Success in Coaches, Clients, and Creatives Overcoming Personal Obstacles of the Mind. But I just call it The Five Emotions That Stop Success. And you can go to the FiveEmotions.com, one word where you can get the book at I think a 30% discount at least 20% or 30% discount and once you purchase the book you can download my passion to profit workbook for free which will give you a little scaffolding around fulfilling uh goals of your own that's a nice cheap way to get a taste of me
1: and of course, you can also access all of that in the show notes, which uh, you can watch alongside this show. So, Royalty, thank you very much. I, I found it a truly fascinating discussion with you. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show today.
0: Well, thank you, Danny. I had a great time. Always oh, fun to talk about yourself.
1: It is. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm Danny Bermant, founder of CaptainJV.co. And I look forward to see you on the next episode of The Power of Two. For more information about us, go to www
0: captainjv.co